Bonjour, 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 welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast. I'm Christophe Malen, I'm your host, and joining me is the magnificent, I only have one word for him today, is the magnificent Dan McKenzie. How are you, Dave? I'm very good. You're wearing that word out, Christophe. I think people are going to start calling me a fraud, and you too as well. But hey, I will take it. It's good to be here. What is the, what, can I just say, what is the go? We never get sick of talking about Melbourne weather. It's winter outside. I know it's nearly Christmas as well. So, <laughs> you know, this is this is uh, on the day we are re- recording this podcast is absolutely pissing it down. Can I say this? I don't know. That's, well, that's, it, that's what it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, today our guest is uh, I call her the goat amongst the goats. I don't know if you agree with me, uh, Maka, but it's Amanda Sprat. Spratty. I've been told you need. I need to call you Sprat. Yeah, thank you. What, what a what an introduction. Very happy to be here. And speaking of um the weather, yeah, it's uh, electrical storms here, rain. It's not the hot summer I was promised so far. Anyway, how's how's life for you uh, in Australia? You you're here for the for the, the mid season. Uh, of course, you had your season with Little Trek. You're going again with Little Trek uh, next year. How is it going? What's the what's the vibe? After the Tour de France, after everything is wrapped up in 2023, uh, how is uh, Sprati feeling? No, I'm feeling excited. I'm feeling motivated for the season ahead. I think, um, yeah, I think like the last season definitely wasn't the season I was hoping for. I think it started off pretty well in Jan, Feb, March. Uh, I think I got eight podiums in Australia, Spain, and then Italy. And then after that, I think I had some health problems that sort of, um, yeah, didn't, leave me at an optimal level. I had quite a bad ingrown toenail infection that went through three courses of antibiotics in March, April, May. I uh, got shingles. Uh, was sick in the last oh. couple of days of the tour and then sort of just kept getting sick after that, after that. And I think, yeah, in the end, I just wasn't at the level I needed to be during the season. But I also think those those things would have had an impact as well. So uh, my season kind of finished a bit earlier than we sort of thought initially, but I think it was the right call in the end. I've enjoyed a bit of a longer off-season than normal, trying to get my immune system back up and running well uh, back in Australia, so I'm feeling good now. Isn't that the um, isn't that par for the course, Spready, for, for a cyclist <laughs> in general? It's, I mean, I'm, I say it half tongue-in-cheek, but half serious. It's like a fine line, isn't it, to have everything go just perfectly for an athlete when you're trying to sort of, you know, compete at optimal level, you need optimal health, form you know even obviously inside the, the above the shoulders as well it's it's a juggling act isn't it yeah it definitely is and I think yeah it's it's such a fine line in terms of pushing it and just how far you push it and I think for me I did make some stupid decisions as well this year I think sometimes I didn't always listen to my body and I think a bit of that was like a new team I wanted to keep racing everything I didn't want to say no to things so I think, you know, I'll take a bit of that responsibility on board. I think sometimes I pushed a little bit when in the past probably I wouldn't have, um, and I definitely paid the price for it. But but you're right, Macro, it's such a fine line in terms of how far do you push it and is it too far? And sometimes you don't realise it's too far until you're over that over that limit. And I think that's sort of what I found out this, this season. So not going to do that again next season. <laughs> uh, one of the striking images I've got, it's actually the last image I've got of you for this year. It's uh, the top of... Uh, uh, of uh, of the Tourmalet, uh, and and that was a hell of a climb. And then you were super kind to wait, and you 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 came and uh, say hi to to Brady and myself as we were recording Bonjour le Tour, and you looked really livid. How hard? I'm sorry to say, but you do you did do look uh, really tired. How hard was that that day on Tourmalet? Uh, yeah, 
I think I was not in my best place ever at the top of the tourmalet. Uh, it was brutal. I think I was already running a little bit on empty there. Uh, and then you see that at the bottom it's 17K until the top and you're just trying to get yourself up there. And I think I blew, like, I went over my limit, I think, at the bottom. And it's not really what you, when, what you want to do when you've still got 15K of climbing. I just sort of tried to manage my effort. And then it was just, like, lights out the last 5, 6K. Uh, Ina, our director behind, said she wasn't quite sure what to do in the radio in the last few K because she's been in that position before. And she said, I didn't know if I should cheer for you or <laughs> just be quiet because she said, honestly, we could have walked quicker than what you were riding off it. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, that's nice. We're that's that's nice. <laughs> Typical German, you know, straight, straight direct to the point. But we're, we've, had a, we've had a pretty good laugh about it since, since that. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was brutal. It was such a, just an epic climb to race up but i think it was such an important climb for us to get to race up as well i was just going to say spratty for all your time in the sport which is a long time and everything you've achieved and the results at you know the highest level um there must be still that part of you obviously that gets excited to race up the tourmalet because as you say you know the women haven't been able to race up some of these iconic climbs until more recent and i guess also for you personally this year, yes, probably not in your best form at the Tour de France, but to finish it, to get through it in one piece um, compared to 12 months prior, sort of give us the, you know, the two feelings, I suppose, you know, the difference uh, of that, that for, uh, to last year for you. And I saw you the day, I think, or the day after you withdrew and, you know, it was, I just wanted to give you a big hug. And then, <laughs> but this year was, I was, I was as happy for you, I think, and, and so many others for you to, you know get through the race as well yeah thanks Macker. i think yeah last year was pretty devastating uh it was out after the second day after that nasty crash uh so yeah that was really disappointing and there was such a build-up to the tour de france the first one we'd had in this modern era of cycling um so i went in with so much motivation and excitement for that uh and then flipped around to this year um i went in in quite okay form um unfortunately we lost our leader elisa logo borghini i think before the tourmalet stage actually but I mean, it was just so nice to have a nice experience at the Tour de France. I definitely felt a lot calmer this year. It was really fun with the team. And yeah, the Tourmalet stage was brutal. And then the time trial was just, okay, what I have left. And I remember just being really hoping I'd finish, like keep my top 10 result because it's not definitely not what we came for, came there um, for as a team to get 10th overall or something like that. But I remember just thinking, oh, I just want to give everything I'd really love to finish. 10th because saying you finish top 10 in the tour sounds so much better than 11th or <laughs> you know what I mean so I think yeah after that I was really proud of that result I think with where we'd come from as a team and and getting through that um it's not what we we came for at the beginning but I was still proud to finish it off and to finish it finish it there and no, I had so much support back from Australia as well which I really appreciated so it was no it was a much better experience this season it might be a bit of a daft question but i'm known for my daft question so that's okay that's my excuse but uh, are you surprised how the the tour de france has taken such a big impact in the season two years ago it didn't exist or two and a half years ago it didn't exist now this is all we talk about and even now we are almost six months down the line we're still talking about your performance at the tour de france there's a whole season you've done very well at other on other parts and other races but we talked to you about the Tour de France, and that's what people are talking about you. So are you surprised in such a short time, the race has taken so much part of the, the life? Or is it just the life of the, the journalistic life? Is it, we were just lazy and we talk about the Tour de France. Um, yeah, I think it's been surprising how quickly it's just become 
the biggest race on the calendar for us. It, it definitely is. And I think it's a real reflection as well of how women's cycling has really grown a lot in the last few years. And I was speaking to my teammate, Lizzie Dagnan, this year as well. And we're sort of thinking about next season and obviously next year's the Olympic season. And we were both saying, yeah, we'd really love to go to the Olympics, but it's not like the be all and end all of a season. And I've also heard other teammates saying like, yeah, we, we'd love to go to Paris. It's, it's a big race. We we want to go well in the Olympics, but there's also the tour straight after and we're thinking about that. And there's also Liège and there's Flanders and there's uh, world championships. There are all these other races. And and in my time in cycling, I think it's the first time, the first year really I've ever heard people really saying that where it's not like the Olympics is everything. Um, and I think that's a real reflection of how the sport's grown, that there are so many amazing races now that we can that we can race and win. That's, I love hearing that, Spratty. I mean, I won't say I'm I'm anti the Olympics or Olympic movement. I, you know, I love watching the athletes go well, and you guys and girls, the Aussies in particular, get medals at the Olympics. But I love hearing that because the men have had that for forever, you know. And the Tour de France mm-hmm. has been the pinnacle. Absolutely, I think we all agree on that. Um, you know, it's, it sits well and truly above uh, the Olympics. So I love it that you're sort of saying that and or in the back of your mind you're going oh, hang on a minute the tour de france and and so many other women it's i mean I, i've asked i think i asked grace brown and I, I sort of go back to the business of the sport so what is the next step where do you see the next five years or in five years time for women's cycling i saw the other day that the men have just neg- renegotiated i think a higher uh, neo pro salary or first year pro salary yeah, there's going to be more movements now, isn't there? And there's going to be, there's more money flowing into the women's sport. But where do you see it in five years' time? Yeah, I think it's growing rapidly. And it has been for the last few years. I remember when we first had the World Tour salary come in or the the requirements for World Tour teams. Many of us thought, okay, that's going to be the death of half the teams. We'll only have five teams. But somehow, yeah, the teams, most teams, I think, managed to survive. And the Tour de France has really helped that as well in terms of having that big impact and for example, I think a team like UAE, I think they're really going to grow. I think, I imagine, I think 2025, I think they're going to get up, get quite a lot of the big riders, I would imagine, with the budget they have. Um, but I think it's just going to keep growing. Um, and I think the big thing I think the UCI need to look out, in my perspective, is also the calendar and, and making that fit better with the teams. Because at the moment, it's, I think, the mix with the calendar is not great in terms of the Giro's in July and two weeks later is the Tour de France. Um, they're kind of getting lucky next year because we have the Paris Olympics in there, so there's a bit of a gap. Um, so I think the calendar needs to be adjusted a little bit and whether we align sort of the Grand the grand Tours um, a more with the men, like what we do with the Tour de France where one and then the, the women's one will follow, um, something like that. So I think that's a development that needs to happen. Um and I think, yeah, we're getting to the point where there's more double programs. Like we have a roster, I think, of 20 riders next year. So it's it's really growing quite rapidly. And I, I think a natural step as well. What worries me a little bit is just the the tier underneath the World Tour level. So we have the Continental teams. I think they're introducing a Pro Conti level. I don't know if it's next year or the year after, but we have the World Tour level and then the Continental team. They don't have minimum salaries. They don't have the... Um, the requirements and things that world tour teams have so that concerns me a little bit so i'd really love to see a little bit more professionalism at that level and i think that will naturally increase that talent pool underneath the world tour level because at the moment you see many top juniors they step straight into world tour level and that's that's a huge jump so i think if we can get that tier below really professionalized then i think 
for me, I'd love to see that in the next four or five years. And I think that's possible and that's feasible. And what about uh, longer tools? If you go in and say 10 days, two weeks, is it, is it where it's heading? Is it too early? What's your, what's, your, what's your position on this? Yeah, I would love to see two weeks. I think two weeks is a realistic goal. I mean, I would also love two to weeks with a rest day. Yeah, I just love the idea of suffering for three weeks, but I don't think that's the popular opinion among everyone. So I'll yeah, you might not have too many to argue with that. <laughs> I don't know. So, so we'll go with, I'd love to see two, two, two week. I think two weeks a nice, nice tour, two week Vuelta, two week Giro, two week Tour de France with a nice range of stages, opportunities. I mean, I have to say with the Tour de France course, we've seen quite a, a nice array of stages. It was nice to have the individual time trial this year. So I think... Yeah, we're heading towards that, and that's that's what I'd really love to see. I think, and then you could really call it them all the Grand Tour. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I I just want I I only want it from a real selfish point of view, Spratty, just so I can spend more time in <laughs> Europe in the sun, uh, for the men's. Oh, the that's fair. Uh, hey, let, yeah, yeah. Why the hell not? Um, hey, let's change tack for a second. Um, tell us about the end of season. I'm just going to call it a junket over to the states with the team. <laughs> I thought it was meant to be training camp, but I'm seeing hockey helmets, being yeah, hockey attire being put on. Tell us, I'm so a Tell us about what was that trip about? No, so it's the second year we've done it, or the second year I've I, I've done it. Um, so we did it last year, we did it again this year, and I like to refer to it as um, um, business in the day and party in the night. Basically, it's uh, everyone's on off season. No one has to pick up a bike and train. So. It's very, but it's, it's an amazing opportunity in terms of team building and just getting to know each other off the bike. Um, it's fully integrated. We're really a men's and women's team together. It's not two separate teams. It's one team. Uh, we spend a few days, firstly, in, at the Trek headquarters in the US. And yeah, I mean, that's just blown my mind every time I'm there. We really, we're meeting the people that build our bikes, that make our saddles, that make our shoes. Like I get the Amanda Spratt version of my shoes given to me. I try them on, they make modifications. So we're really one-on-one meeting the engineers and people that are creating the stuff that we're using to race so so that's really cool um we spent some time uh at SRAM in Chicago so that's sort of the business side of things and then we do a lot of fun stuff like yeah we did we did ice hockey so we did that last year and I think the point last year that I loved was we did uh we did ice hockey and so we've got like Brody myself um uh Juan P. Lopez um uh, who else? A couple of Spanish guys who have never been on ice skates before. And the team are totally fine. You know, no worries. Get on the ice, skate around, you're bumping into each other. Like, no worries. Like, we're not concerned at all about your safety. And then we did another. Yeah, you don't even have to sign a little paper before. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's a bit crazy. And then we did a soccer um, drills, but it was deemed too dangerous to play proper soccer. So we just did drills, which as an Australian just blows my mind because I feel like soccer is far less dangerous than, than ice hockey. <laughs> oh, yeah. The, the hockey so, knock into the head would be mm, would hurt way more than a soccer ball to the head. Yeah, and there's there's nothing like a whole bunch of non-competitive people on the ice, hey? <laughs> 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 and, and normally I think there's there's five people on the ice at, at, at a time and then at the end they say, all right, like for the last 10 minutes, like everybody's on the ice at once and the first person to score a goal like wins. So then you've got like 30 so people in the goal? ice. Oh, I can't remember, but I think Tinder Court might have got that goal, actually. Yeah, Tinder Court. Good, wow. good, good old Tinder yeah. Court. Yeah, no, but it's just an amazing, yeah. It's an amazing moment just to, 
yeah, integrate with the team. And we went and watched the Chicago Bulls game. So just opportunity wow. to have some fun and relaxed that's actually quite a good a good segue in this. Uh, we talked a lot in this podcast before when Sepkus won the uh, won the Vuelta. How important it is to have the US back on track, back on on supporting the the cycling. You've been there. Uh, you've been on the ice. You've been on the soccer field. But you've also been in the factory. What's the vibe in the US? We talk a lot about the gravel, but what's the vibe in the, around the crits? And and are we on the verge of seeing the US back in the scene? And and Maka and I both believe we need yeah. the U.S. full gas back on it to make the sport even cooler. Uh, and that comes from a Frenchman that says this, by the way. Uh, but, uh, but, but what's your vibe? What's your, what's your feeling around this? Yeah, I think it would be amazing to have more races and, and events in America. I know just before we were there in, uh, uh, for the team camp, we had a few of our riders go over early from the road team to support. They led a cyclocross event at Trek headquarters, and that just looks amazing fun and amazing atmosphere and so many people out supporting uh and i know actually i never had the chance to race in america on the road but i have some teammates who did the philadelphia classic before and tour of california and they just said they were such amazing races and, and a lot of roadside support and just the, sort of a bit more of a party atmosphere um and that's certainly the impression i get from watching some of the criteriums there too so i mean i think it has a place in the world tour i think we should have races in america and it's kind of mind-boggling actually that that there are no no world tour races for us there, to be honest. That, yeah, it's true. And I actually can't believe you haven't raced on the road in the States, Spratty. Um, I know. I'm an old hen, but... I've been around that long. What happened? <laughs> I know. I've raced on the track. I did my Junior Worlds uh, yeah. points race in Los Angeles. And now I'm giving away my age, so I won't tell the year. But um, <laughs> a long time, long time ago. But. <laughs> Uh, you, you're way young, but the Olympics in 2028 are in the US, so you can actually have some more time as well there if you uh, if you want. Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. No, I'm sure everyone is <laughs> totally fine with me continuing. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, um, let uh, sorry, Christoph, I'll jump in. Let's talk about your home. Obviously, home, your second home or first home. You're in Australia. I'm presuming you're home for all of summer now to do your usual summer racing. And I did see a little promo clip for the Nationals, and which just jogged my memory. So you won the Nationals in 2012, 2016, 2020. Perfect gap, 2024. Fourth one. Yeah, you'd, be the only, you'd be the only athlete, male or female, to win four row titles too, I think. No pressure. Sure, but I can't quite, quite like the sound of that. I knew this was going to come up with the four-year gap. I didn't know it was going to come up this early. But, um... <laughs> yeah, well, I saw it today. <laughs> definitely it's yeah for sure it's a goal and it's the last year on Mount Bunningyong so it'd be nice to go out with a bang on that course in its final year there so um yeah what can I say it's definitely a goal I think we're gonna have a strong team there we have four four of us in Little Trek with the addition of Fliss Wilson Hufferton so that's really exciting to have her there as well so um big goal and I really hope we can take the win there with one of us that's cool with Felicity on the team too. Mm, yeah, no, super. Yeah, I think it's great. We've got five uh, 18-year-olds coming on board next year, so just out of the junior ranks. So I think it's it's really nice for her as well that she could come onto the team with um, a bunch of other young riders and they're all sort of going to be on the same development pathway and the team are not putting any pressure on her. So I think it's, yeah, it's a really nice environment to come into and I think she already had a lot of fun in America, so nice to get her in there. I don't know if it's the thunderstorm we are hearing from uh, from the, yes, um, this the is mountains. <laughs> yes, the beautiful, beautiful blue mountains. Come and visit. Come and rain. <laughs> oh, okay. 
what what are the other targets of the year? Um, yeah, so for sure, January is a really big goal. I was very close to getting a few wins in January, so I'd really like to get a win on the board already in January. Uh, it's super exciting in Down Under that we race at Willunga Hills, so definitely have my eye on that stage. Uh, and then we head to Europe, um, Ardennes Classics. I'd like to be good there. And then I have quite a big racing block in May in Itzulia, uh, Burgos. So for me, they're sort of smaller, not smaller tours, but it comes off the back of the Vuelta, so uh, shorter in terms of time time there. So I'd like to be good there. Um, I'll also race the Giro, I think. So that's something we'll have to see how, how that fits in the program. But I think if I had to pick one goal, one big goal for next year, it's the World Championships, which are in Zurich. Uh, it's an hour away from where I live in Switzerland during the season, uh, and it's a tough course. It's got a couple of solid climbs in it, and... Um, if I had to pick one goal to be at my absolute best for next year, I think that's the one. Okay. I've got another question about uh, talking about the world and so on. Uh, we, we spoke to several of the riders, and, and I just wanted to have your opinion on Anamik leaving the sport. You know, you know her very well. You, you've been teammates with her. You know the impact she had on the sport. Is she going to leave a big gap? Is, she, is it a new era? You know, what, what, what's your position? What's your view on her leaving the sport and retiring? Yeah, I think for sure there's a new era that's already kind of started as well. We kind of maybe saw that a bit over the last 12 months with Anamik not being as dominant as before. But I think in terms of the impact she's left, I mean, it's been massive. I think sort of everyone followed Anamik's footsteps in terms of um, going to altitude, being more professional, train up in the training hours. Uh, you know, she, she, wrote, she was always quite vocal about the training she was doing, so people saw that as well. So I think her impact has been huge. And I think her, yeah, her absence will be felt. I think she was kind of the one rider that you get into a race and you'd say, this is the race, you know, Anamik's targeting. This is a climb. It goes for this long, there's this steep bit. This is where Anamik's going to attack. So I think we won't have that rider now. Or in some ways, she was a little bit predictable in terms of um, sometimes not predictable, like Wollongong World Championships when, with that win, but sometimes also quite predictable. So I think we won't, we won't have that anymore. But I think, yeah, she's, I think the impact has been massive. She's been a, left a big impact in terms of just raising the level of the sport. And I think we have a lot to thank her for. And I guess though, as you say, that the page has turned or it's turning spready. And again, I've said it in a couple of other interviews with a couple of the women in the last few months, the tour for me this year, the women's tour was, you know, it was brilliant like it was the year before, but these young girls, and I can, can I say girls, I feel like they are. There was a couple of the stage wins. I think it was the German rider, Bauenfeind, who, who soloed in on a really hot, stinking day. I think it was into Albi. And then just on top of that, your thoughts before the start, at, towards the end of the men's, we thought, oh, gee, we might only get five or six Aussie women on the start line. We we're sort of racking our brains going, right, we know she's in, she's <laughs> in, et cetera. We had 12. So I feel like there's just this surge, and I I'm, hope I'm right, that there's going to be this surge of young Aussie women now, you know, aspiring to be at the tour in the next five, 10 years. Yeah, I think you're totally right, Macca. I think even I was surprised that there were so many Aussies on the start line in the end. And I think it's just a reflection of, um, uh, you know, Whoa. The that we have. And, <laughs> sorry, intermittent. There was Paul SOS. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fingers crossed I don't get struck sitting here. If I go offline, then I'm gone. <laughs> um, but no, I think, I think. Yeah, it's exciting. I think we have a lot of young riders coming through. And I think with with COVID, I was a bit worried that we might lose out on some of those riders, but it just seemed as soon as the borders opened, everyone was just itching to get out. And we saw, I think the year after when the borders reopened, we had like ARA came over, Bridge Lane came over, 
we had a lot of young riders, particularly in Belgium and Holland, and really starting to get noticed by teams and, and, and getting starts and getting results. And I think we're seeing this real development pathway now. And I think the other important thing is, if I think back in my time, in, in the first years of Green Edge, for example, a lot of Aussie riders saw Green Edge as the only pathway kind of to, we sort of lost the Australian national team and then Green Edge became the team that everyone wanted to get to and that was the way to get to Europe. Um, whereas now I think you see Fliss joining our team, we see other like Neve Bradbury and Canyon Stram, we see a lot of the young riders branching out and not being afraid to to go to other teams. As Green Edge is not the only, I mean, Green Edge is a fantastic team, don't get me wrong, but it's not the only the only option. So I think that's been uh, important that I think there are riders that are doing that and, and other riders are seeing that. Um, and also with the addition of some development teams as well, I think that's really helping. But yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time. I think a lot of us oldies are, are getting not getting any younger, let's say. So it's nice to see a younger generation and a, and a strong young genera- generation coming through. I was going to say, with all respect, Spratty, you know, you know <laughs> I love you as an athlete and a person. I think it's going to be only going to get harder for you for the next few years competitively. No, I think so. It's a bit scary when I think the eighteen-year-olds are half my age. So, yeah, and we had a we actually I have to share this story quickly with you. But um, we we're on um altitude camp in San Pellegrino this year with Elisa Longo Borghini, Brody Chapman, Guy Rolini, and Sharin Van Anroy, our two young teammates, that went. 20 and 21 and we were just talking about 9-11 I think and saying yeah we remember where we were when 9-11 happened and sort of recounting those stories and then we looked at Gaia and Sharin and then we realized that the two of them were not even born yet so that was a moment where you're like yeah wow (laughs) that's when you realize that's when you realize you're getting a little bit older yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah so that was that moment where you're like yeah I'm not getting any younger now (laughs) But you know, you know she's got uh, Maka. You know, like you and I, you know she's got an open door at SBS. You're welcome whenever you want, uh, and I'm sure uh, we can find a nice little uh, little thing yes. for you. Like uh, if you didn't, now you do, <laughs> and I've said it officially. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh wow, oh, I'm blushing. <laughs> might might take you up on that offer. <laughs> I love SBS. Yes. We'd like that support. <laughs> Few more years on the other side of the fence, though, Spratty. I think. How many more years? Let's come on, hard-hitting question. How many more years are you prepared to, you know, that 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 drive and that passion? Because it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I've been doing it since I was a kid, basically. Um, but uh, yeah, for sure next year. And I can see another couple of years after that. That's one, two years after that. I think that's, yeah, that's realistic. And I think I, I'm having so much fun on Lidl Trek, honestly. Like, it's just been a not my best year on the bike, but I've just... There's not been one moment this year where I've regretted my decision. I think I was ready for change anyway, but I really feel like there's room to grow in this team and I'm really enjoying it. Um, and also giving back to the young riders on the team is something I'm quite passionate about. So it's been really enjoyable. So whilst ever it's like this, I'd like to keep on going. Yeah. And then maybe one last question on that subject, but do you feel maybe riders of your age um, or your era, I should say, are more prepared than riders than Maka's era or, or previous years where your career's ended and then that was it. The drop was there. There's more tools, more more research, more help for you to put a, a smoother end to the career and transition to something else? Yeah, I think definitely. And I think it's just talked about more now. People are very aware that it's not easy to retire or to finish. And um, it's definitely talked about more. There's the support offered. Um, I know I'm even talking to my agent. Sometimes we'll catch up and she'll say, oh, what, what are you thinking? We need to start thinking about 
what are you thinking about post-cycling? Because um, I'm also here to help you for that. So there are those discussions as well. So I think it's just more of a topic now and people realise it's, it's it's not easy. So I think that's been probably a big change, I think, from, from Macca's era than to, compared to where I am now. I don't know, Macca, if there was much support. <laughs> no, I mean, look, it's a... Yeah, I was, I was about to make a joke about it, but it's, I mean, it is a, it is a serious <laughs> part of anyone's sort of life, isn't it? Not just sporting. Um, I, I, I don't know, the door just opened at SBS, Spratty, and I just jammed a wedge in and got myself in there and I haven't left yet. And now I've got a big baseball bat to stop anyone else <laughs> me out of that. Um, including me. Thank you very much. <laughs> including me. <laughs> um, uh, sure. So I'll have to come in with a super heavy... I'll have to come in with a super heavy practice before he I think I think we need to end this podcast on, on a more positive note uh, that, than talking about your retirement. There's a, there's a, there's still a lot more cycling to happen. Uh, 2024, if we can if we can sign you to be a positive year for you, a, a great year. What would make 2024 a success? You, you mentioned the World Championship. Is there anything else? Yeah, the World Championships. But overall, I'd just like to be at that back at my really top level and in the finals and getting some wins for the team. Yeah, that's what I'd like to be back there racing the finals where I know I can be because I didn't do a lot of that after after March. It was a pleasure to have you. You, you are our last guest of the year. So we, before we finish... Oh, an honour. Uh, finished we, on a, finished on a high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Thank finish you. Your eyes on the best. <laughs> Huge high and an just a little bit of pressure for you in January. That makes Absolutely, yeah, just a few days. And we and Maka and I, Maka and I will be in the streets of Ballarat and Buninyong, uh for the pretty much of all time. So I'm sure we'll be uh, hunting for you for the for the time at uh, uh, on location. No, I look forward to it. My parents are coming, so the whole entourage will be there once again. So ready for it. Thank you, Sprati. Uh, thanks, Sprati. Thanks, guys. Great to catch up. Thank you. 